spiritual habits, solitude and silence. Um, and I'm excited to do that. But before we do that, again, I think I have appreciated walking through this series of spiritual habits because I think for me, it has given me an opportunity to look at some of the bad habits in my life, things that maybe I wasn't self-aware of. Um, and it's allowed me to, to really just try to reorient those things, try to fix the things in my life that um, I struggle with. And two of those things that I have found in the midst of me wa- walking through this new series, uh, two bad habits that I've had are, are these. One of my biggest struggles in my life is I don't like to admit when I'm wrong. I'm just not, I, 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 yes, I'm going to say I don't like to, and I'm really bad at it as well. So either when I'm wrong, maybe I said something, and I like kind of knew that I was wrong, but I was just, I didn't, I was too insecure, and I was too boastful and prideful that I just was like con- trying to convince them that what I said, even though I knew it was wrong, um, like trying to get them to, to be like, yeah, 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 I'm actually right, you're wrong, even though they knew they were right. And then also sometimes like later on, like maybe I thought I was right and then I realized I was wrong or maybe I did something like maybe I yelled at like Madeline because the dogs bit me and I'm like, why the heck did you let the dog bite me? And it's like clearly she didn't do that and I'm clearly in the wrong. And so sometimes I just have a hard time admitting when I'm wrong and maybe you guys can attest to that as well. The second thing in my life is something that I think is fascinating and something that maybe um, you guys can also resonate with. And I have a really hard time consistently allowing God to help me with my problems. I'm always trying to think, I always think in my head, I'm always like, all right, this is a worldly problem. This is something that I'm going to fix on my own, and then I'll bring my problems to God. But right now I'm going to try to fix this on my own because this is a, a me problem, not a spiritual problem. And I think what I have found in this new series on spiritual habits is that is so unbelievably wrong. And so in that, again, my first reaction when I, when I run into either when I feel like I uh, I'm trying to admit that I'm wrong and, or there are problems in my life that I'm trying to fix on my own and not with God. My first kind of reactions in both of those situations is I always get very defensive and very guarded. I always put up these like metaphorical walls in my mind where I'm just like, okay, I'm going to figure this out on my own. Or, I'm right. I'm totally right. Like I, I don't trust Google. There's so many things on Google that are, you know, all these things. Or um, yeah, and just what happens there is it ultimately leads me to, to kind of isolating myself from a situation or reality um, that could then lead for me to get more anxious and angry. And so tonight, like Nick said, we're going to be walking through a series, a uh, a talk on solitude and silence. And the first thing that comes to my mind when I hear that is like one of those like insane asylum rooms. Like I think Mr. Beast did a video where he was like 24 hours in one of these rooms. And whenever I think of solitude and silence, those, I think I have a picture of it, the room. That is the room that I think of in solitude and silence. And maybe you agree with those words, but that's just the first thing that comes to my mind. And in that, again, like I said, um, unfortunately, that is not at all what we're talking about. And in order to learn what we're going to talk about, we're going to walk through some definitions. And so the first definition is the definition of biblical solitude. See, it says this. It says, biblical solitude is the biblical practice of temporarily withdrawing to privacy for, the, for spiritual purposes. The period of solitude may last for over a few minutes, for a few days. Uh, it is generally sought out in order to engage in other spiritual disciplines without any distractions typical in the presence of people. So that is kind of what biblical solitude means. And the second definition is one that you guys have maybe heard before, and that is silence. 
And so the definition of silence is very simplistic, yet I feel like it just gets right to the point. And it's literally this. It says, it is the complete absence of sound. And when I was trying to think of situations in my life where that may be a reality, uh, I remember a story that my leader when I was in high school had told me, and it was one time he was cave diving in Greece. That sounds like just like check that off the bucket list. That sounds like super cool. But as he was explaining it to us, he was explaining that as they got into the cave, they, they dove underwater, they got into the cave, and they had their lights, and then they had their, they were talking, the, the tour guide was explaining this whole story, and at one point he says, all right, everyone, I need you to stop. And he goes, right now, for 60 seconds, I'm going to turn off our lights, our lamps, and we're going to be as silent as we possibly can. And so for 60 seconds, they turned off the lights, and they, they didn't say a single word. And then after that 60 seconds, they turned their lights on, and he said that was the first time in, my li- in his life that he has felt, one, darkness, and the absence of all sound. It was the quietest he has ever heard in his life, because even when we feel like we're in silence areas, just the humming and the buzzing of birds or cars or things, we never know what absolute silence is. And so I love that the true definition of silence is the complete absence of sound. And so again, as we look at biblical solitude, we look at silence, when we combine those realities, I think we, have, there, we all have this one place in our mind where we all have a place in our, our minds that we can think of currently, of a place where we kind of escape from reality. We escape from maybe the stresses, the angers, the frustrations in our life. Maybe it's our bedroom. Maybe it's certain other places in our life. But I'm sure currently right now, it is a place where you feel safe. It is a place where no one typically can, typically can bother you consistently. Um, I remember one of, one of our interns this summer, Elijah, maybe some of you remember it. I remember he had talked about a place, yes, it was in public, but it was a place that not a lot of people would walk by, but it was a place on the campus of Christopher Newport University where he would sit and he would just be silent and he'd be in community, and, and, I mean, community with God. He would just be alone and he'd pray. And so that's kind of what I, what I thought of in, in places in my life where... Um, where I would find solitude and silence. And so for me, there is one place that comes to my mind where I kind of escape. It's my, my place where I just go to immediately when I'm stressed, when I'm anxious, when I'm just trying to cope or I'm trying to decompress or I've had a long day or I've had a really good day and I'm just trying to process all that life has given me. And that is the shower. I absolutely love to just go home and take a shower. I Sometimes when life's days are a little hard, sometimes I take like three showers. And for me, it's just a place where I could just escape from reality. No one is going to be there. I could just be by myself, and I could just be with my thoughts. I know some of you middle school boys smell like you don't know what a shower is, and that's okay. I'm just kidding. I promise. I am. Or am I? I'm not sure. All I have to say, um, <laughs> sorry, I'll, I'll admit, when I, when I think of the shower, when I think of a place that I try to find solitude and silence, I often find that I go there not for the purpose of biblical solitude or biblical silence. I don't go there for the spiritual purposes that we, we are reading and we are learning tonight. I find myself thinking, not thinking about spending time with God. I find myself trying to go there again and try to figure out my problems on my own. I go there and I say, okay, well maybe I'm stressed about something that I, I made a mistake with. Maybe I'm stressed about a sin in my life. Maybe I'm stressed about the shame. And so maybe if I just go to the shower and I'm alone, I just don't have to think about those things and I could just pretend like they're not real. Or maybe I go to those places and I could convince myself that I'm going to fix them because I can do that without God. See, the shower, again, is a place where I go not to think about the Bible. And I don't like that. 
It is a place for me to escape from my own mistakes temporarily as I continue to find a way to solve them. And so today we're going to look at three pla- two places in the Bible where, where biblical solitude and silence were practiced by Jesus. And we're going to learn how we can better reorient the places that we isolate. So for me, the shower, I'm going to learn how to, I can reorient why I'm there and what I'm doing there and, 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 how, and how I can better understand and learn how to live in biblical solitude. And so again, as I said, we're going to learn how we can better reorient how we isolate and sit in silence in the midst of today's world. And so the first passage we're going to look at is one that you probably have heard before, and that is Matthew 14, verses 13 through 23. On the screen, it's split up at 18, and I'm just going to read the whole entire thing. So you can follow along the screens, you can write it down. If you have your phones or a Bible, you can pull it up as well. But here it goes. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself, But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, "They They need not to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and talking and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to the heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Immediately, he made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. See, this story takes place just right as we read in the beginning. This story just takes place after he, Jesus finds out that John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod. And Jesus' first reaction to hearing that was to isolate himself from the crowds, but the people in the crowds weren't having it. They said, there's Jesus, we're following him regardless. And even in the midst of that, Jesus felt compassion and allowed, and we read that he healed their sick and then ultimately fed 5,000 of them. Like I said, what ends up happening is nothing short of a miracle. We see that Jesus turns five loaves of bread and two fish and fed over 5,000 people, and they were satisfied. That means they were full, they were content. They weren't just like, I had a, a small piece of bread or I had a little piece of fish. They were satisfied. That was full. They were, they were no longer hungry. And I say over 5,000 because that's not even including the women and the children that ate and were satisfied too. See, I love how the story ends though. See, after all that had transpired, this incredible miracle that is teaching, that, and this, this teaching, this healing, this miracle of multiplying bread and fish that had just took place, this incredible mountaintop experience, his first reaction, Jesus' first reaction, isn't to celebrate and keep this spiritual high going on. No, if we read in verse 22, it says he goes up on a mountain to be alone and to be silent to pray. Jesus, after a miracle, after serving over 5,000 people, immediately sends the disciples away, dismisses the crowd so he could go alone in solitude to pray. See, when I think about my own life and I think about that situation happening today's, in today's day and age, I think the first thing that would happen in my, is in, in my, if I was there 
is I would tell literally everyone I knew about it. I would immediately, like, texting everyone on my phone, you'll never believe what the heck just happened. And then I would probably find a way to say, hey, did you get a picture of that? I need to post that on Instagram. Or, mom, I'm posting on Facebook this crazy story, that this miracle that happened. That'd be my first reaction. See, I would try to continue this momentum of this spiritual high of this miracle that I had just witnessed. But, and I, and I currently know like that, that my first reaction would not be to go home and to isolate in, in solitude and silence and to pray after something that incredible that had just taken place. But that's Jesus' first reaction. After in this incredible miracle, Jesus says, all right, thank you guys so much, dismisses the crowd and says, I need to go on the mountain to pray and be alone. The second example of biblical solitude and silence is that one that comes in the midst of great anxiety and darkness. And we're going to be sticking in Matthew, and we're going to be reading, this is a little bit of a tongue twister, maybe it's not, Matthew 26, 36, 39. I feel like when I tried to say that out loud earlier, I was like, I don't know why I cannot say that, and I did it right now, so that's good. All right, well, 36 says this, it should be on the screen behind me, it says this, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful. Even to death, remain here and watch with me. And go a little farther, he fell on his face. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. See, this takes place right after the Last Supper when Jesus foretells the disciples about his death at the hands of one who will betray him in this room. See, we read that Jesus and the disciples come to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus goes alone to pray. He knows that he is about to be betrayed. He ultimately knows that what happens with this betrayal and this capture is that he is going to be crucified on the cross for sins that he did not commit. See, Jesus in this moment After this, he goes to this garden, and he could have easily run away. He could have gone to hiding. He could have alerted more people to come protect him from this mob that was soon to come get him. But we read that Jesus goes there to pray. He goes there, and we read his first inclination is to fall on his face, it says, and pray. He pretty much says, my flesh is weak, Lord, but your truth is everlasting. It is your will that is going to be done here. So as we read these two stories of instances where Jesus lived in solitude and in silence, how can we practice this solitude and silence in our everyday lives? How does this apply to how we, we escape, how we go into silence, how we isolate from certain stresses in our life? And I think it's pretty obvious, and maybe not even brown, groundbreaking, and it's things that we have built on and talked about earlier. And as we read, again, the, the, the definition of biblical practice, I mean, biblical solitude, it ends with this. Generally, it is sought out in order to engage in other spiritual, spiritual disciplines without distractions. So the things that we need to learn are things that we have talked about prior. And so the, the two things that we need to walk through as we try to practice better solitude and silence is we need to have a better posture and prayer. Our posture has to change, and that's through prayer. See, if the Son of God is performing miracles, and then immediately after that, he's going alone to pray, then that must mean something to us. 
But not only that, if the Son of God is, is, knows, has foretold, and knows that he's about to be betrayed, and this really stressed, this hard situation about someone who has walked with them. Judas walked with Jesus. He saw miracles. He performed miracles. All these things, and yet he still was going to betray Jesus. And yet Jesus, his first reaction to all of this after the Last Supper is to pray alone, to fall on his face in surrenderance and pray. See, much like myself, when I go to the shower and I'm trying to process things and I'm trying to figure out how I can be right in a situation when I know I'm wrong or how I'm trying to fix my own problems without God, I have found that when I'm trying to process good and bad realities in my life, my posture is wrong. So this example, I, uh, I was talking to someone the other day and it just kind of came out and I was like, man, that's actually really cool. Maybe this makes more sense in front of you guys. And so maybe this does make sense to you guys and that's okay. And so this is what I wrote down. See, maybe some of you feel this way, and that is the best way for me to describe the bad habits in my life, the shame, the mistakes, the anger, the frustration, the ways I try to escape is this. I feel like an unfinished product, a painting that maybe hasn't been completed or a room that I know my parents have told me I need to clean, but I just haven't cleaned it yet. I said, don't worry. I say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean it. Just wait. I'm going to finish it. Let me just finish this painting. Let me just finish this product. Just give me a little bit more time. Give me one more second. And as I say these things, I'm trying my best to fix the brokenness, the bad habits in my life, knowing that they're not able, they're not able to be fixed by myself. And so I'm, I'm telling God, I'm saying, God, just give me one more second. I've got to fix all the mistakes in my life. I've got I to gotta make sure that I look good so then when I unveil myself to you, Lord, I am worthy in your eyes. But the funny thing about this whole situation, this way that I isolate, this reaction I have to God, is he's looking at me like I'm crazy. He's looking at me like, do you know that I love you more than you ever could imagine? That I love you more than your brokenness, your sin, your shame. And no matter how many mistakes or unfinished paintings or unclean room or all the things that, that may, we may could use as an analogy in this situation, that he loves us more than we can ever imagine. So maybe in the situations when we're trying to struggle, we're trying to figure out on our own how to fix our own problems or how to break a bad habit on our own, when we're in the shower or we're in our, in our hanging in our room or any place where you guys like to go to isolate, maybe in that moment we can go there with a posture of surrenderance like we read that Jesus had in verse 39. As it says this, it says, As going a little farther, he fell on his face and then he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let the cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. See, in order for us to reorient how we isolate and how we sit in silence, we have to have a better posture. We have to have the posture of surrenderance. The second is prayer. We read in every one of these instances, and there are more instances. There is, when Jesus was tempted in the Bible for 40 days, what does he do? He prays there the whole time, and he fasts. See, we read how important prayer is. But what I love, again, is like the definition in biblical solitude, that it can be just more, it doesn't have to be days. It could be seconds, it could be minutes, but to be there with a surrendered posture, but there to pray. See, I want you all, when you find yourself in a place alone and in silence, the place that you might always go to, maybe it's in your head, maybe sometimes in life when things are loud and you could kind of just clock out and you could be on your own head, maybe there, I want you to pray. I want you to pray about the day you had, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's okay, whether it's exciting, whether it's new, whether it's confusing, whether it's hard, just to pray. 
And you could literally list it out. You could be like, God, I'm struggling today. I don't really know what's happening today. I don't know if I did good on this test. I, I, I don't know. But just to pray, but to do it in solitude and silence, to do it just you and him. There are so many times in my life where I wish I did that. And so as we think about biblical solitude and as we think about silence, we need to reorient how we normally would do that. Normally we would isolate. We need to isolate with God. We need to have a surrendered posture and we need to pray through the good, the bad, and the normal. Just as we saw that Jesus did when he he prayed immediately and went alone and prayed after he fed five over 5,000 people, and just as he did when he was betrayed. See, biblical solitude and silence comes from a surrendered posture and humble prayers. See, if we aren't willing to acknowledge our mistakes to God, if we're trying to still say, all right, like, this is one thing, you know, God, I'll, I'll tell you about this mistake, but the other one I'm going to fix before I tell you because I'm a little bit ashamed. If we aren't willing to just lay it all out to God with a surrendered posture and humble prayers, then we aren't allowing God to work in our life. See, biblical solitude and silence comes from a surrendered posture and humble prayers. Tonight we learned and talked about how in our lives we can find ourselves isolating and sitting in silence for the wrong reasons or the wrong reactions, whether it is to escape, to cope in bad ways, to sometimes just stare at your phone. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes at night when I just can't sleep, I find myself just like watching Instagram reels and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's 1.30 in the morning. What the heck is happening? And then you know, you, I don't know if you guys have the like, the like timer on your phone, you're like, sorry, you hit your daily limit, and then you could just be like, continue. That's me a lot, and I, I, I don't like that. And so, again, we find ourselves when we isolate, when we're just fixated on our phones, we're sitting there in the dark. What are we doing? We're looking at our phones, and we're not looking at God. So like I said, we, we've learned and walked through these passages, and we learned the importance of this posture, this surrendered posture in the midst of silence and solitude. We learn the importance of prayer, that through the good, like Jesus did in the miracles, and the bad, and the betrayal, and the anxiety that comes with Jesus, then knowing that he's going to die on the cross for sins he did not commit. We find that biblical solitude and silence comes from surrendered postures and humble prayers. I hope that in small groups we can continue these conversations. I'm going to pray us out real quick, and then we can head to small groups. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am just thankful for this room. Um, I'm thankful for the, the familiar faces, the new faces, the old faces that have come back recently, Lord. I just ask that in this series of spiritual habits that we can just really open our hearts, Lord. We can surrender our hearts and our minds to, to you. We can lay it all out on the line, Lord, knowing that you are there to catch and carry all the burdens and the struggles in our lives when temptation arises. Lord, I ask that tonight and, and throughout life, Lord, we can reorient how we isolate, how we escape from realities, Lord, and we can do that with surrendered postures and humble prayers. Lord, I pray this small groups can evoke good conversations and fruitful conversations, and I pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen.